I love it when it gets hot because I love hot weather. I don't like cold weather at all, and I feel like I can only hate one kind of weather. I can't hate both, so I love the hot weather. Okay. And so the other day when it was like in the 70s and the sun was shining, oh, it was like heaven. And then there's the federal tax burden, just how much of other people's money are Democrats proposing to burn in this effort to turn the country into a far-left science fiction novel. This administration has repeatedly tried to scrub climate change information from federal agency websites. It supported agency officials with deep ties to fossil fuel industries and pulled the United States out of a critical international agreement that we need to collectively work together to address climate disaster. You're listening to Funny Atmosphere, Episode 3, Barriers to Climate Change Solutions. But yeah, I think a lot of what's going on is questioning the science, not really because there's something wrong with the science, but because they see that there's something to be gained politically by questioning it. Jason West, professor and researcher at UNC Chapel Hill. George Bush was not an environmentalist, but he trusted and listened to science. West is talking about the first President Bush, George H.W., not the bad one. But, but he really um, understood that it wasn't his role as president to question scientists, that there is a big body of people that American society invests in research, and his job was really to listen to it. Republican politicians now cast doubt on the fact that humans cause climate change with fossil fuel emissions. Here's a U.S. Senator, James Inhofe. The hoax is that some on the far left believe man controls changes in the climate, and we've endured eight years of an administration that buys into the alarmist mentality that the world's coming to an end, and, uh, and it's due to man-made gases. That's what the hoax is. Inhofe's hoax is actually very old, very solid science. The only people buying into anything are the oil and gas companies who have slipped Inhofe's campaign's $1.9 million since 1989, according to OpenSecrets.org. And we need to understand how old and solid this climate change science is to realize the absurdity and doubting human activity causes the Earth's temperature to rise. In 1896, Swedish chemist Svante Arrhenius wrote about how carbon dioxide in the atmosphere influenced temperature. This led to more work focusing on the greenhouse effect. And then in the sort of 1950s, 60s, and 70s, we learned that we really needed to study the absorption of heat by CO2 and other greenhouse gases as a function of wavelength. Nowadays, nobody questions that that was done right. You might as well move on to the next interesting yeah. question. When West mentions wavelength, he's talking about how scientists looked at how heat and greenhouse gases interacted in the atmosphere, down to the molecular properties. If you want the details, Google atmospheric window. That's atmospheric window. It's good bathroom reading. But the point is, many scientists have thoroughly studied this topic. The knowledge has been around for a while. Listen to Frank Baxter from a 1958 television documentary on the weather. Baxter was a science educator back in the old days when some oddballs thought TV could be a public service. 
Due to our release through factories and automobiles every year of more than six billion tons of carbon dioxide, which helps air absorb heat from the sun, our atmosphere seems to be getting warmer. That sounds awful. I hope somebody did something about that. You know, it's nice to think a problem like that could be in the past. Oh, wait, I'm being sarcastic. Speaking of the past, even President Trump accepted past tense accepted climate science. Here's Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island addressing Congress. Donald Trump and the Trump Organization signed this full-page advertisement in the New York Times in 2009. If we fail to act now, they said, it is scientifically irrefutable that there will be catastrophic and irreversible consequences for humanity and our planet. So as much as the fossil fuel-funded mockery in which the Republican Party has engaged challenges these facts, even the Trumps knew this a decade ago. I think the key word here is signed, the full-page advertisement. I don't think that means he read it, but still... President Trump has since combed over his views of climate change. Here, he's addressing the 2017 Faith and Freedom Coalition Conference about his pulling out of an international agreement to fight global warming. I followed through on my promise to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. If you can watch this video on YouTube, you can see he, he just consumes the applause, his body metabolizing it into more and more bad ideas. But scientists have had lots of good ideas about studying global warming. These ideas have led to experiments. These experiments have led to scientific consensus on climate change. Let's make sure to understand scientific consensus, because it's a term that's used a lot. Here's Jason West. Well, really, it's a community activity. Everybody's working on similar problems at the same time and approaching it maybe, hopefully, with different methods and that sort of thing. Then through time, you get a better idea that that really is true, and people stop becoming interested in performing further experiments on it. You got it? There is a lot of sometimes heated discussion about what is more cutting-edge science, like uh, for example, we have a hard time in computer models representing clouds. The climate nerds may have heated debates about clouds and computer models, but here's what the conversation sounds like at a convention for people who refuse to accept the scientific consensus. For the past 15 or 20 years or more, an entire generation of scholars, researchers, scientists, tenured professors have grown up literally sucking off the tit of the climate change money. That classy comment was from a question and answer session at the 2017 International Climate Change Conference, organized by the Heartland Institute, a think tank that in the past has been funded by oil interests such as ExxonMobil and the Koch brothers. And another thing, the International Climate Change Conference, that's the ICCC, the name is suspiciously similar to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. The IPCC releases reports detailing scientific knowledge of climate change. So, IPCC, good. ICCC, crass and stupid. What they talk about, not who they are. But come on. But then, why is climate change a modern political issue? Here's Kelly Fielding, an environmental psychologist at the University of Queensland in Australia. I talked to Fielding on a Zoom conference call. Hi, Jeremiah. So just a heads up, 
the audio quality suffers, but Fielding's work is fascinating. I ask why we might have a political divide about climate change. Fielding says political affiliation might help form our opinions. Then if you identify as a Republican, then you kind of go, oh, well, that's what my group thinks, then I, I generally will be in agreement with that. Uh, and, and I did a study recently um, that's uh, under review at the moment where, uh, and we did it with Americans, uh, and we tried to get around those partisan divides by, so, so we had one study where we tested uh, people's acceptance of a, a price on carbon, a carbon tax, and we we varied the information so that it was either supported by Republicans or Democrats on the basis of either Republican or Democrat values. And what's really what was really interesting to me is that there is in fact a you know a group of Republicans who are out there spruiking the need to address climate change uh, on the basis of Republican values. So it wasn't as if we were doing something that seemed really you know out there. Fielding study looked at people's acceptance of a carbon tax. A carbon tax is just like it sounds, a price the government puts on fossil fuels. It's designed to pressure the market to reduce CO2 emissions. Fielding found Republican support for a carbon tax increased when the tax was supported by a Republican as opposed to a Democrat. You know, that that partisanship means that, you know, you have to come up with solutions that aren't also able to be, you know, linked to one particular political party. So making climate change solutions partisan, either Republican or Democrat, might automatically cause them to lose support. Each party has its own stink. Republicans smell like spoiled ham. Democrats smell like spoiled potential. And what's really interesting, if you look at the polling data in Australia, support for renewables is a bipartisan issue. I tell Fielding I get the sense that people who accept climate change also get in the way of the solutions because maybe they feel like it's too big of a problem. We did some research on this, actually, where we gave people, you know, we used the same kind of information, but we put a positive or a negative spin on it. So, you know, carbon emissions, you know, haven't increased, you know, you know this year. And so, you know, that, that's a you know, kind of good news for the future or carbon emissions haven't reduced. And what we saw was that we gave the optimistic messages to people that it made them feel kind of complacent and less likely, less willing to take action. And so I think that we have to, we have to feel a sense of this is serious, this is a problem, we need to do something about it. We, we've got to feel a bit of fear about it because that, you know, that, that sense of risk and fear, that's what motivates us to take action. But, you know, what all of the, you know, the, the research on fear appeals would tell you, and this is, you know, research that's been done in psychology for decades, is that, yes, you've got to make people, if you want people to take action, you've got to give them a sense of, oh, my God, this is you know, serious. I've got to, you know, do something about this. But you've got to tell them what they can do. So if you want people to act, not only do you have to motivate them, you have to give them instructions? I guess everything has to be spelled out these days. Fielding talks about how we need a sense that everyone else is also willing to make a change for the better, what she calls collective efficacy. So I do think that that, you know, that lack of a sense of collective efficacy is a real barrier. And so if you don't think, if you look around and nobody else seems to be taking it seriously or doing anything, what's the point of you doing it? Unless you're someone who's so committed to the environment and cares about it really, 
really strongly and passionately, in which case you're going to do something anyway because you can't stand to not do something about it. Yeah, that, that is not me. I definitely need collective efficacy. Otherwise, I just sit on the toilet and do crossword puzzles. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who I only, I only go to cashier aisles that have two other people in them. Fielding and some colleagues worked on another study that showed people who refused climate science tend to be attracted to conspiracy theories. <laughs> this drives me crazy. Not because conspiracy theories cause us to suspend our disbelief, but because climate change is like the biggest conspiracy theory of them all. You have oil companies, car companies, politicians, lots of small bizarre details, changes to the planet. The CIA knew about it in the 70s. I'm sure there's some Freemason connection somewhere in there. I ask Fielding if climate change were presented as a big conspiracy theory, could it win over these conspiracy fans? Yeah, it's interesting. So my colleague, Matthew Hornsey, who I did that research with, I was having a conversation with him and that, because, you know, we had this notion of the sort of uh, jujitsu persuasion, which is where that you don't kind of attack people's, you know, ideologies full on. So the, the moment you sort of do that kind of full on attack to what people believe, they'll go into defence mode, right? And so it's a matter of sort of thinking about, you know, what underpins their beliefs that, you know, that they are a committed Republican and that's what Republicans believe, for example. And so then how is it that you can actually kind of work with that knowledge? And And you're right, I think that you know, trying to point out that there might be these other groups who actually have, you know, you know, I I I I agree with you that 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 potentially that that is a kind of uh, a way of presenting it that might get people to sit up and think about it. Okay, I'll give it a shot. I love this stuff. Welcome to Jeremiah's Conspiracy Corner. I'm somebody who sounds like Alex Jones. Dallas, Texas, November 22nd, 1963. Lee Harvey Oswald is witnessed on the second floor of the Texas Book Depository drinking a Coke. 90 seconds later, police said he was on the sixth floor taking aim at Dealey Plaza. Incidentally, the exhaust from President Kennedy's passing motorcade was releasing carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas that causes global warming. I mention it because it could melt the ice caps, causing sea levels to rise. We could also have more droughts and storms. So, if it's not too much trouble, please pressure your public officials to act on climate change. Okay? Thank you. I hope Hardee's is still open. I'm hungry. Next, I took a trip to Washington, D.C. On March 15th, students around the world walked out of school to protest government inaction on climate change. I wanted to see what it was like at the heart of our government, Washington, D.C., hey, our nation's hey, capital. Ho, ho! Fossil fuels have got to go! Hey, hey! Ho, ho! This is what democracy looks like! Climate change is not a lie! Do not let our planet die! At its peak, I estimated around 600 students were at the strike. There were maybe 10 or 20 younger children, but most of the strikers looked high school age. I was afraid that none of these protesters would speak to me. That fear was ridiculous. Turns out teenagers love to talk. The hardest part of the covering this event was dodging all the other reporters there. I'm now going to edit around uh, an hour of interviews into a minute or two. No, I'm not skipping. I actually informed my teachers that I have to come here. Yeah, there were supporters that say you gotta stand up for it. And we're gonna support you when you get back if you need to make up any work or something. Are you a student? I'm not. I'm a, I'm a non-youth ally. 
<laughs> I like that. Is that an official term? That, that was the box I checked when I uh, signed up for the rally. Like people, the biggest complaint, the only complaint I hear about solar power is people think that solar panels are ugly. That's the only argument against solar power that I've ever heard. Have you actually heard somebody say that? Yes. Yeah. Like somebody who owns a house? Yes, my father. My family has both solar power and geothermal. And we literally, after we installed it, we, um, we went to the outside meter and we literally watched. And it was like, it was absolutely insane to watch the meter literally go backwards. Is it correct to assume you're a scout? Yes, that's correct. I'm a Boy Scout. What, do the scouts do anything about climate change? Yes. So the scouts have what we call the outdoor code, which is a set of principles that we follow whenever um, we're in the outdoors. And the idea of that is to minimize our impact on the environment and preserve our natural resources. Can I ask you your name? My name is Ryan Hoskinson, and I'm actually the outdoor ethics guide for my troop. Oh, so that's a thing? Yes, it is. That's a position that we have. Um, it's a trained position, and uh, their job is basically to educate people on what are the dangers facing our environment right now, and how do we mitigate them. Probably like the administrators who are watching us leave school are probably like, these kids have no idea how to leave school. So you went to school and then left? Yes. Yeah. We went to first period, and then we just like, zoom, we left. Yeah, we left. I talked to the parent of one of the main organizers. <laughs> yeah, it's been um, over a month of long nights for her and having to keep the house quiet for the media, you know, and the Zoom calls that they do between the different kids and the different partner groups and all that. And so, yeah, it's been a long, and it's not going to end because they have May 3rd and then some other ones, so yeah. <laughs> is this a, do you know how many media outlets she's talked to? I wouldn't be able to figure that out. I mean, at least... 50? Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, how old is I mean, your daughter? She's 12. Wow, really? Yeah, she turns 13 in two weeks. This is a, this is a lot for a 12, 13-year-old. Yes, yeah. She seems to be handling it well. Yep. Can you just tell me what your sign says? So my sign says, some of y'all don't believe scientists, and it shows. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. What, can you read your... Uh, Take it to the street. In this world, you either stop global warming or it stops you. And I have this side. If only the GOP cared about Earth like guns. What does it say? Why should we go to school when you won't listen to the educated? Are you uh, are you getting in trouble for uh, skipping school today? No. Um, well, if we walked out, it's considered an unexcused absence. But if we just came here, it's not. So we think it's way more important to be here than to be at school today. The event had speakers. Hello, my name is Havana Chapman Edwards, and I'm eight years old. Indigenous and people in color here in the States and around the world are doing the least to damage the planet, but we are the ones who are paying the price first. We are losing the fight. In Mexico City, children and adults are still harmed by the polluted air. Although toxic gases are no longer emitted at high levels, spending a, a day outside makes your eyes water and your head hurt. Together, unidos, we can change these precedents. We have 11 years. La lucha sigue. There was music. One, two, three. Hey! Representative Ilan Omar took the podium, and I forgot to press record on my audio recorder. But I did hold the mic up the entire 15 minutes and got a cramp in my arm, if that's any consolation. 
I forgot to record her daughter's speech as well, but I did get this. Let's change the world! Also, uh, if somebody's missing a black Motorola, we have it up here. Please come up to us. Thank you. It was a peaceful event. The only time I got nervous was when I saw a young man walking around the Capitol lawn barefoot. I was afraid he might step on a broken campaign promise. It was a warm, sunny day. In fact, I missed the pre-strike press conference because I had to go buy sunscreen. Firming and hydrating, rapid wrinkle repair. Oh, that's just for nighttime. Um, so no SPF. Uh, healthy skin face lotion. That sounds like me. Wait, does my skin have to be healthy? But right after the end of the event, a cloud passed in front of the sun, and it felt a little cooler. You think I'm reading too much into that, or do you think... I don't know. I mean, like, maybe it's like a sign that since it got cooler, it's like people are doing the right thing, like fighting against climate change and fighting against mm -hmm. the government who doesn't believe in climate change, so... I'm pretty sure yeah. it's just Earth supporting us. Yeah. Like, yay! Mother Nature is supporting us. Because I was in D.C., I finished the day at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History. Walking past the climate change ocean. They have a cool exhibit here. It's a little uh, sliding lever for the pH level of the ocean. You know how acidic the ocean is. And you go from you know, a low acidic ocean to a high acidic ocean. The picture changes from the low acidic ocean. You know, it's very uh, vibrant. It's like a lot of diverse life, and then you slide the lever all the way back and the picture changes to just this dead ocean floor. I'm walking through the ocean exhibit to get to the, oh here it is, the Hall of Human Origins. Two mammals and restrooms. The David H. Koch Hall of Human Origins, named after the oil billionaire who financially supports politicians like Senator Inhofe. You might remember Inhofe. He's the senator from the beginning who called climate change science a hoax. He's also the guy who threw a snowball in Congress. So here, Mr. President, catch this. That time he was arguing global warming was a hoax because it snowed one day. But back to the Hall of Human Origins. The exhibit presented climate change, talked about rising CO2 levels. It was factual. So they do have a map here, a chart here about rising CO2 levels. It looks pretty, pretty right on. But I felt climate change was made to be one of a series of climate shifts in human history kind of ignoring the speed of human-produced global warming. Humanity could adapt to this change. The exhibit seemed to reassure me. Looking at the displays of extinct human-like species, old cousins with odd-shaped heads and brown teeth, I felt like the exhibit was telling me we humans would simply adapt to climate change as opposed to work against it. I took out my phone and, and Googled the exhibit to see if others felt this way. And it turns out, yeah, I'm not alone and found a couple articles such as What to Do When You See Science Denial at the Science Museum on Greenpeace.org by Huey Lu. It was hard to think about, considering who funded this exhibit. David H. Koch, a rich man who funds politicians and wishes for the oil industry to continue. The more I looked at the beautiful displays of humanity's past, the more I wondered if one day our species, my kids, would only be visible as replicas behind a pane of glass examined as a curiosity by some offshoot of humanity, adapted to a world ravaged by weather extremes, wars over resources, an acidic ocean, crop reduction, and sea level rise. A species who is somehow able to evolve 
past our mistakes, our inaction, our partisanship, and our inability to just get out of our car and walk to work. I'd like to leave on a positive note, but one that won't induce complacency. To follow Fielding's advice, here's Paul Byrne with perspective only a planetary geologist could have. Climate change is a, is a scale I don't think we as a species have really encountered yet. So the, the test is for us to work in a unified way internationally to step forward and to develop sustainable programs and, and, and approaches that are going to ensure that we do limit the rate at which we're dumping CO2 into the atmosphere. Because this climate change that we're seeing is all of us. It's, all, it's us. It's not the sun. It's not geology. We know that because we know these processes happen in other worlds, but they happen a lot slower. The magnitude of change over decades or centuries is much, much less than we've seen in the last two year, 200 years here. So this is us, and we need to fix it sooner rather than later, because there is no other planet for us to go to.